we live in a time um, time period now. Uh, we all see uh, Christmas lights, uh, examples of Father Christmas, and uh, many of us know where it originated from. Um, and it's a well-known fact that uh, Christ was never born uh, on on Christmas. Uh, but uh, let's just look at a few of those scriptures today, uh, briefly. First one is Matthew 1, verse uh, 21. Matthew 1, verse 21. So let me just get to it. Matthew 1, verse 21, it says, And... Uh, she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, uh, for, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus, the word Jesus means salvation or savior, so you're um, calling him savior or Jesus as we have it in English. And, uh, and then a little later in verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so uh, this is fulfilling a prophecy of Isaiah 7, 14, that talks about um, exactly that. So uh, I'm not going to go into much detail about that. I just want to put it into context. And then as we look into Luke chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 1, uh, in verse 5, we have the story about uh, um, Zacharias, and, uh, and he was a certain priest, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and he was of the division of Abijah. And that from there we then uh, get the story flow that um, he then gave birth to John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist was six months older than Christ. And so using uh, that division uh, of Abijah, uh, there is an uh, um, article on our website if you search for it. It's entitled, When Was Jesus Born? There's an article there on the website. And there it explains um, uh, the year when were the shepherds in the field? It talks about the census, and it talks about also the birth of John the Baptist. That is a very interesting marker uh, because from there we can see when John the Baptist was born, and we know that Christ was born then six months later. So that, that is an interesting uh, point that you may want to look at. That is an article from the Good News January, February, 1997. Also, uh, a little bit later in Luke, in Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 1 through 7, it's got a description about there being a census, and, uh, and then it's got the description of, uh, of Christ being born and Joseph being of, uh, of uh, went up from Galilee to the city of Nazareth in Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So we have the story then of Christ's birth, and we read then in verse 7, and then she brought forth a firstborn son and wrapped him 
in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, this is an important uh, point that there is another article on the website. Was there really no room in the inn? Uh, this comes from the uh, Good News, November, December 2012, and that explains that the word in uh, is from uh, a Greek word that um, uh, represents kataluma. It's a guest room, so there was not, not enough space in the guest room of that family. And uh, so that is also a very interesting bit of reading that sometimes people are not aware of it uh, because he didn't go into, let's call it an hotel. He was in the family home, but there was not room in the guest room. So they had this room on the ground floor, uh, on the first, on the level floor, and it was easier to care for the baby and all that. So uh, that's a little bit of interesting uh, information that sometimes we're not aware of it. But what we can see is uh, we have the name of Christ being God with us, and, uh, and that brings us the point that when Christ came, he came to die for us with a mission, a mission to be our savior. However, we, with Christmas, we put a focus on a little baby which did happen temporarily, but the Bible puts the focus on his death. Uh, when we read, for instance, at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 23 through verse 26, uh, it, it, it says, for in the same night in which Christ was betrayed, he then took the bread and uh, he took the wine, and that was after supper. And, uh, and then he, he reads in verse 26, it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, how often do we do it? Obviously, uh, during the time of the Passover, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. So the Bible puts focus on the significance of Christ dying for us. Yes, he came, he emptied himself, he, he became a human being, but the focus is on his death because we have here a being, one of the two beings, eternal beings, that he left being equal to God, as we read in second in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 6, being in the form of God and being equal to God and became a human being, and he gave his life for us. And so the Bible puts the focus on this God being, all-powerful, that gave his life, and which is now at the right hand of the Father, because that opens up the doors for a wonderful plan for you and I, for us to be redeemed, so that then we have the doors for salvation. The world puts the focus on a little baby, a powerless little baby. And as we see there, 
there is a focus away from God's plan of salvation. It's diluting God's plan of salvation, which is to us reminded annually through God's holy days. The focus now is on to pagan holidays, focusing on things that are emotional, pretty, quote-unquote, how sweet, but it's deviating us from God's plan of salvation. We all know the origin of these days. I'm not going to go into it. Uh, we know that it came from the Romans, but they, from, you know, in fact, from the Greeks, and in fact, from Babylon. So it came all the way from Babylon through to the Greeks, to the Romans, and uh, that then became, uh, changed those pagan names into Christian names. Under the guise of love. Under the guise, oh well, it's such a loving action. A mother, so-called Madonna, uh, what the Madonna is now our middle as a mother interceding, interceding for us to God, which is a deception because our intercessor is our high priest, which is Christ, our mediator. And so it deviates the whole thing from God's plan of salvation. And as I mentioned, under the guise of love. You see, you and I, can read scriptures like Ephesians chapter 4, and let's turn there to Ephesians chapter 4, a very meaningful scripture, and uh, starting in verse 11, talks about that God gave to us his ministers uh, to equip us, the saints, for the work of ministry, in other words, for serving, all right? So that we all come, as it says in verse 12 of Ephesians 4, to all come to the unity of the faith, uh, to a perfect man like Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed with all the different ideas. And in verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. Christmas is not the truth. Oh yes, focuses in love, but deviates from the truth. Our responsibility, brethren, is to speak God's truth, to speak what is sound doctrine, but of course speak it in a loving, kind way. The world does away with the truth under the inspiration of Satan and focuses on love, and that is wrong. In fact, what we have here, brethren, is what is described in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about that man of sin and that sinful lawlessness that is going to come, uh, in verse 7 says, the mystery of lawlessness, that's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And indeed, 
this false doctrine is one of those things, part of this uh, mystery of lawlessness. Look at verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception, this mystery of lawlessness of which this belief of all these so-called pagan holidays, not holy days, but pagan holidays, distort from God's plan of salvation, and that distortion is deception, and what's more is unrighteous. It's unrighteous. And we know that transgression of the law is sin, and if we break one law, we break them all. And Christmas is one such unrighteous deception. And so let us look at these two words, unrighteous and deception. And so today, I'm going to look at the word unrighteous, because that's breaking God's law. And so we're going to explore how Christmas breaks all of God's Ten Commandments. And then we're going to briefly look how it is a deception away from God's plan of salvation. So it is indeed unrighteous deception. So let's first uh, look at Exodus chapter 20. And so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20 a few times in and out, so you might want to put a marker in Exodus chapter 20 so you get to it quicker. And in Exodus chapter 20, in verse 2 and 3, it talks about the very first commandment that it says, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not, uh, in, in verse 3, and, and let, let's stick to just verse 3, which is the, uh, the first commandment. In verse 2 says, I'm the Lord your God and brought you out of Egypt. But in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. God, the Father, through Christ, our Savior, has created us and he is our God. December 21st is a worship of a different God, the Son God. You know, you can do researches on that. So I'm not going to take time to prove that. Any of Google search or any other Bing search or whatever it is search, uh, you're going to see enough proof of that. So it is a worship of a false god. And we read in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12, verse 30 to 32, Deuteronomy 12, verse 30 to 32, says, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow these other people of the world uh, after, uh, after they are destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? I'll also do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination they've done. And this is an abomination to worship a different God. So 
we know. And in the New Testament, if you read, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 14 through 17, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We need to be careful that we don't violate the first commandment. And Christmas violates the first commandment because we are putting a different God in front of the true God when he tells us very clearly, do not worship the Lord God in that way. But let's go back now to Exodus chapter 20, now verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And Christmas is full of images. The nativity scene and all the images of a baby and a Virgin Mary and a baby and that false interpretation of the mediator. This is images. These are carved images. Well, I know the Catholics say, oh, well, we don't worship those things. They just remind us. But that is a clear break of the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, okay, and you'll not serve them. You'll not bow to them. You'll not bow to them. In Jeremiah 10, you have another example, which some clearly uh, explain that it is applicable to a Christmas tree. I know some debate that, but let's just read Jeremiah 10. And it says uh, in, to us, in Jeremiah 10, starting in verse 2, thus says the Lord God, do not learn the way of the Gentiles, nor uh, do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed of them, for the customs of the peoples are futile, are vain. For one cuts a tree from the forest, an evergreen tree, the work of the hands of a workman with an axe. So he cuts it, and they decorate it with silver and gold. It pretty much sounds like a Christmas tree, doesn't it? Right? They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. You see, we have images. We have these useless customs. Look at verse uh, verse 8, but they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. A wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. The teaching of Christmas and Christmas tree is a worthless doctrine. Now, what do people say? Oh, well, you know, it's, it's, it really is. It's Christ's birthday. Uh, you know, uh, we're just thinking of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a little example. 
I'm kind of deviating a little bit, but I want to give you a little analogy, okay, and, and to bring out to, to us how bad that is. Imagine that before you got married, you had a girlfriend. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong, whatever. You just had a girlfriend, and then you ended up and you got married. But now uh, you want to give a birthday gift to your wife. But you give it to her on the date of birth of your girlfriend. <laughs> and you give her a birthday card where your girlfriend's name has been scratched out and your wife's name has been put onto it. And with it, you give her a gift, like a dress, but the dress doesn't fit your wife, but fits your ex-girlfriend. Now, would your wife be happy with such a birthday celebration? Obviously, uh, it's humorous. But that does not honor God. Particularly, God doesn't tell us to celebrate Christ's birthday. And what you have here is have an image of something else on a wrong day. It clearly is wrong. In Exodus 34, Exodus 34, verse 13 through 14, Exodus 34, Exodus 34, verse 13 and 14. It says, But you shall destroy the altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other God, for God whose name is jealous. He's a jealous God. You see, what people do today is, oh, well, you know, everybody does that, and it's so cute, and the lights are so beautiful, and the tree's so beautiful, and, you know, it's for the children. I mean, we really, it's for the children. So it says, you shall destroy the altars, break the sacred pillars, Cut down the wooden image, for you shall not worship no other God. And, and you, you're not to do this. This is a clear instruction. So Christmas clearly does not honor God. is honoring a different being. So Christmas violates the second commandment. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to now read uh, verse 7. And it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know what do we do on Christmas? We apply a pagan God, his name, and we just scratch the name and we put there Christ's name. So it's taking Christ's name in vain. You know, you can take a wolf and dress a wolf as a lamb, but it's still a wolf. 
So you can take a pagan holiday, quote-unquote, and dress it as Christian. You can take a paganism and dress it as Christian, but it's still pagan. It's still pagan. Christ was never in this pagan holiday. Really what people do is a self-justification of a human tradition rather than what God tells us to do. And so in Mark 7, verse 6 through 9, Mark 7, verse 6 through 9, It says, he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? I mean, when you, when you see Christ saying, prophesy of you hypocrites, that is not politically correct to say that, is it? <laughs> but, you know, Christ was straight and he was not afraid. And he says, these people honor me with their lips but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, these are teachings of men. And therefore they're worshiping God in vain, using Christ's name in vain. And as we read in Exodus 12, it says God will not hold them guiltless. In Revelation 18 verse 4, we, we read... Revelation chapter 18. Let's get to there. Revelation chapter 18. It's, yeah, in this section, it's talking about Babylon, because you and I know that these teachings actually originate from Babylon and then moved on to Greece, and then they were adapted by the Romans, and then they were adapted into Christianity. But the roots is actually Babylon. And then it's, it's talking, yeah, in this section, in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in the sins, and lest you receive her plagues. We are to come out of this religious system of this world. God is powerful. God says, I will not hold them guiltless. And he says, there's going to be plagues. So, Christmas violates the third commandment. And we better pay attention to that. But then we go back to Exodus chapter 20 in verse 8. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, what makes a day holy? What sanctifies any day? God and his word. God's word sanctifies a day. And he says, therefore, keep the Sabbath and keep it and hallow it and respect it. And keep it the way God sanctified it. But what sanctifies a day is God's word. And you and I know that God sanctifies not only the weekly Sabbaths, but sanctifies... The annual Sabbaths, they are equally sanctified days by God. 
You read that in Leviticus 23. So what do we have is that God sanctifies the weekly Sabbath and the annual Sabbaths. But man has decided upon himself to worship on different days, both weekly and annually. God did not set aside these pagan holidays. I could talk about it, Christmas. I could talk about New Year's Day. I could talk about Valentine's Day. I could talk about Easter Sunday and so on. These days violate the principle that only God sanctifies and sets days apart. Nowhere does God tell us to celebrate Christ's birth. And by the way, neither does God tell us to celebrate his resurrection, which the world claims it was on Sunday, which wasn't. You and I know it wasn't at the end of the Sabbath. So there's no record also of early Christians doing it either, any one of those days. Now, obviously, I am not minimizing Christ's birth, and much less am I minimizing Christ's resurrection, because his resurrection is crucial for our salvation. But God tells us to com commemorate his death, Passover, Nisan the 14th. Passover is not Easter Sunday. Two different things. Two different things. And so, what we have is this distortion, which basically is hiding the real meaning of God's holy days, which point to us, to God's, or indicate to us, God's willingness from the Father to give us his only begotten Son, for Jesus Christ to come to earth to surrender his life to torture and death as a sacrifice for our sins. But Christmas does hides all that away. Therefore, Christmas violates the fourth commandment. Let's continue now with Exodus 20, verse 12. It says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long through upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. How can you honor your parents by doing the opposite that they tell you to do? You see, when God tells us to do something and we're doing something different, we're dishonoring God, our spiritual parents, our spiritual father. You and I know that Christ did what his father told him to do. John 8, verse 29. John 8, verse 29. Let's look at John 8. John 8, verse 29. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone. For I always do those things that please him. Christ 
always honored the Father. He always did what was pleasing to the Father. And we are to follow Christ. Look in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. We are to do the Father's will. That's what we are to do. We are to be complete by doing the Father's will. By doing what is, and it says, working in you, what is well-pleasing in his sight. That's what we need to do through Christ. We need to do what's well-pleasing in his sight. Look at Deuteronomy 18 verse 9. Deuteronomy 18 verse 9. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. You're not to follow their ways. You are to do the Father's will. And so, Christmas violates the fifth commandment. Let's now go back to Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. In John 8, verse 44, John 8, verse 44, we see that Satan is the father of lies and is a murderer from the beginning. Let's look at John 8, verse 44. It says, and you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. How was Satan a murderer from the beginning? Well, you know the story in Genesis chapter 3, that he subtly deceived Adam and Eve, deceived Eve. Adam was not deceived, we, we learn there from the scripture. But he used deception... And through that deception, he lied, causing their death. In fact, causing every person's death. Through Adam, death came into the world, and we all die. So Satan is responsible for death. Well, granted, you and I too, because we sin, but Satan is responsible. Sure, he did not actually literally kill them. He does not literally kill us. But by subtly pricking our minds and our thoughts and society and everything else to disobey God, appealing to beauty and emotions, like for instance uh, during uh, things related to Christmas, appealing to human passions and disobedience, in other words, rebellion, we end up sinning, and the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, verse 23. So Satan is a murderer. And this lie of Christmas, under 
the guise of what's wrong with giving gifts because it's giving. It's everything so pretty, so appealing to beauty and emotions. It's subtly leading us to disobey God or leading mankind to disobey God and that the wages of sin is death, causing death. And so this is part of Satan's game, a murderer. And so Christmas violates the sixth commandment. So let's go to Exodus 20 and now verse 14. In Exodus 20, 14, we've got the seventh commandment, and you shall not commit adultery. Now in, Ex in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, we see about the relationship between a man and a woman as marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, and, uh, and starting in uh, verse 28, it gives, and husbands ought to love their own wives as their bodies, and he who loves his wife also loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but unnourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And then in verse 32, he says, This is a great mystery, and I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, there's a marriage between the bride and Christ. There is a commitment of loyalty, spiritually speaking, between us and Christ. There's a marriage. And so, when we become loyal to a different God, to a different belief, which is against God's commitment, we are, in fact, being disloyal to our husband, spiritually speaking, Christ. And so that, in a sense, is breaking the spirit and intent of this seventh commandment, which is breaking that relationship, that bond, that commitment between husband and wife. In James chapter 4, verse 4, he says, friendship with the world and worldly things is wrong. And so adultery is wrong. And therefore, Christmas in a sense, in a spiritual context, is backing up this breaking of a commitment with our future husband and therefore leads to this spirit of adultery. Therefore, Christmas violates the seventh commandment. Now let's go to Exodus chapter uh, 20, chapter, uh, verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. The meaning while Jesus Christ came to earth, right, is hidden. Sure, Christ came to earth. Yes, he was a little baby. Yes, he was a cute little baby. But he came to earth to be the Messiah, the Savior. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Let's look, uh, read again. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. And it says, For there is born to you, this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. He's a Savior. He's a powerful Savior. 
And so, Christmas steals the glory of who Christ is, he being our mediator, and gives that glory to Mary and takes that glory away from Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Whose minds the God of this world has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on, 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 on them. This belief blinds, hides the glory of Christ, of the gospel. And, and therefore, it is stealing something from God. And therefore, it hides the meaning of God's early days, God's plan, and therefore Christmas violates the eighth commandment. And then uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, talks about you shall not be a false witness. Well, that's an easy one. You know, lies to our children about Santa Claus, lies that Christ was born on the 25th when he was not, lies about the three wise men, which we don't know how many men they were. There were three gifts, but and also they didn't come at the time he was a baby. He was already a boy, maybe one or two years later when the wise men came. Lies that Christ was in it, when Christ was never in, the, in this pagan celebration. So Christmas clearly violates the ninth commandment. And the last, which is in verse 17 of Exodus 20, thou shalt not covet. And you know what? If there's a day that celebrates materialism and the way of get and commercialism and buying and shopping, I mean, if you want to go to the supermarket and buy something during this time, you basically, you want to avoid it because it's just full of people. People are there just for physical things. Christmas is a period of lusting and coveting after material goods. Therefore, Christmas violates the 10th commandment. Now, yes, Christmas violates. In other words, it is an unrighteous deception, as we read in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. But let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. Because it says a little bit more. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, an all unrighteous deception. You see, it's a deception. Yes, we've seen it's unrighteous because it breaks all the Ten Commandments. But it says, unrighteous deception amongst those who perish because... They did not receive the love of the truth. Now, one of the things that is true is that Christ was not born on the 721st. All this is deceiving, is deception. And if you love the truth, you're not going to follow these holy days. You see, 
clearly it is a deception. It obscures God's plan of salvation to mankind. A key starting point for the plan of salvation for humanity, it is Christ's sacrificial death as a redeemer for us on our behalf. And, and that is hidden in these pagan holidays. God, Christ, as one of the God beings, and the one through whom the Father did and created everything, he came as a physical human being so that he could buy us back and redeem us from death. You and I, during God's early days, we often go clearly through the meaning of each one of those holy days. We understand Passover represents Christ's suffering and death and the symbols that are lights to us. We know that unleavened bread symbolizes that we now have to make a commitment to completely obey God. We know that Pentecost symbolizes the coming of God's Holy Spirit, God's power and God's strength to help us to overcome, for, for us to be sanctified, the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. We know that trumpet symbolizes Christ's coming. We know that atonement symbolizes Satan being put away so that the wonderful world tomorrow symbolized by the Feast of Tabernacles may come upon us. And so that then that eighth day or the last great day which symbolizes the second resurrection and the great white throne and whatever else comes beyond, it really, these holy days have such a wonderful meaning. But Christmas and these pagan holy days hide it all away from mankind. You see, it hides the willingness of the Father to give his only begotten son for us. It hides Jesus Christ's surrender of his life to torture and death as a sacrifice for our sins. And it hides that he'll come again and will save mankind from this mess. Thank God that Christ is coming again because this world is in a mess. Thank God. God's early days teach us what Jesus Christ has done. Teaches us what God through Christ is doing. And teaches us what God through Christ will do. In other words, to bring salvation to all of mankind. As we read in Revelation 18 verse 4 says, Come out of this world of Babylon so that you do not receive her plagues. Brethren, let's not, and I know we aren't, but let's be able to convey to other people that may ask us, how come it's so wrong Christmas? In a kind and loving way, explain to them the truth. Let us help others that may ask us the question. Let us help others to focus on God's plan 
and let us be part of that plan by faithfully obeying God in spirit and truth, by receiving the love of the truth, and by always speaking the truth.